0: The following message was given by Shelby Murphy on Sunday, July 30th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org. Good morning, Redemption Hill. Uh, It's good to see you guys uh, today. Uh, Let me extend my welcome to those joining us for the first time as well. Uh, My name is Shelby, and I'm one of the pastors here normally. I'm either over here playing guitar, this morning I'm back here playing piano, kind of a one-man band a little bit this morning. Um, it may get a little awkward towards the end of the sermon, because normally the pianist comes up at the end, so I don't know how I'm going to juggle that. Um, But uh, we are currently uh, in a summer series on the book of Proverbs. Uh, And uh, we're going about it just a little bit differently than maybe you've heard Proverbs taught. In the past or even how we normally go about things Um, outside of introducing the book and its big themes those first weeks looking at chapters 1 through 9 we've been looking at sort of representative samples of the actual Proverbs themselves found in uh, chapters 10 to 31 looking at those individual um, began those individual Proverbs drilling deep into them to see not only what they have to say to us today but seeing how this particular wisdom is on display throughout this entire book and how it leads to true wisdom, which is found only in Christ. Uh, as, some the, as some of the other pastors have said, uh, this has proven to be different and maybe just a little bit difficult uh, to try and prepare for. But in, but in the end, it has also proven to be both satisfying and convicting in the process. I I personally love um, the wisdom literature of the Bible, and when I say that, what I mean specifically mean is the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. Uh, These books in particular hold a special place in my heart, and a good chunk of my life has been given to studying these books in particular. Uh, in, in many ways, I realize that I'm, I'm hoping to actually sort of major on this literature, to be some sort of expert, maybe even master it. Um, however, as I've read these books over and over, read other scholars writing about these books, I've come to the uh, conclusion that I'm, I'm an idiot. <laughs> uh, the, the more I spend in these books just reveals how little I know just how foolish I am. Uh, and how little I have actually progressed in wisdom. Uh, You see that the wisdom literature of the Bible is not here to be mastered by us. It's actually here to master us. And that's why I I, I think I love it. Uh, There are many people who can express the biblical truths found within the wisdom literature, just like Job's friends were clearly able to do. They were able to express deep, Biblical theological truths to Job and ultimately God's verdict over Job's friends was that they were wrong And so in the same way there's plenty of people That can grab the book of Proverbs And they can spout them off from their lips But at the end of the day if they're not grounded in the wisdom of God a wisdom found only in Jesus if They don't have a heart change from Christ Then even the greatest of Proverbs hangs useless like the lame man's legs in Proverbs 26.7. Or they wound like a thorn that goes up into the hand of a drunkard as Proverbs 26.9 says. So no, these are books of the Bible that are meant to master us not to be mastered by us. That is why any time you open this book not just Proverbs to read it, to study it Before you read your Seeing Jesus Together passage for the day, your prayer should sound something like this. God, you know way better than me just how foolish I am, just how lacking in wisdom I am. Help me today to be wise. Give me your wisdom. This passage from James says that I am able to ask God to give me wisdom. A God that this verse says Gives generously to who? All without reproach. What a great promise. When we read literature like the Proverbs, God shows us just how foolish we are ultimately so that we can cry out in repentance to God to make us wise through Jesus, who is the wisdom of God embodied. And, and so let that be our prayer this morning as we come to our proverb. Um, today. Uh, If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me over to Proverbs 14. It is on page 537 of this pew Bible, if you want to be there. It will also pop up on the screen behind me. Um, We're going to be looking at just one verse today, verse 4. Some of you will recognize this passage. Uh, Maybe it is hanging up in your home currently. Or, or, or in your home growing up. I know that I've seen this hanging in a few kitchens over the years. And you'll understand why as we get to it. Um, and so let's read it. This very, very long text that we will be looking at uh, this morning. And just as a reminder, this is God's word. <laughs> Proverbs 14.4 Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So let's pray and let's ask God for help this morning. (laughs) Father, give us ears this morning to hear the word that you are speaking to us. We need your wisdom today and ask that you would graciously give it to us as we hear your word and meditate on it, tasting it, savoring it, Open our eyes to behold the wondrous things that are here in your word. Make it more desirous to us than gold and more sweeter on our tongues than honey. Father, remind us today that we are ultimately sustained by every word that comes from your mouth, including the words of this seemingly innocuous proverb. Give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness that can only be satisfied in you and through your word to us today. And we ask these things in your gracious name. Amen. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Here is what I hope to do to this morning regarding this verse it's going to be a little bit backwards and out of the ordinary Uh, we're going to immediately apply this verse to our lives now i know that some of you out there are cringing at the thought of immediately applying a verse without proper context or even seeing how it relates to the gospel first if you took the first principles class with me last year you know how this is sort of a rule, sort of a a big no-no, but as my music composition teacher said, rules are meant to be broken. So uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the tree of this proverb. And then we're going to back up and look at the forest to to how we see this proverb at play in the gospel. Proverbs are not necessarily promises, but they're more um, akin to general principles. And the principle here in verse 4 is simple enough to glean really at first glance. We should be able to immediately understand what it's saying and then we can spend the rest of our lives meditating on it and never coming to its, its end. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. The most basic... Idea being expressed here is that good and necessary things come at a cost. One who desires abundant crops must accept messy mangers. Now, ancient readers of this proverb would have immediately picked up on the meaning of this proverb simply because of the um, agrarian culture of the farming culture of the Middle East where this proverb finds its, its genesis. The strength of an ox is far greater than the strength of a man. Which means that the ox can be used to work far more farm ground than a man with his own hands can do. And this imagery is still true today. Anyone can have a garden in their backyard with only their hands and a couple of basic tools. But if you want to have a farm, if you want to make money, off your crops by selling them, then you need something more than just your hands and basic tools. And yes, today we typically don't use oxen. We use tractors instead. So a good modernized version of this proverb would be from the new Shelby version. Without a tractor, there is no maintenance. But abundant crops come by the strength of the tractor. Now using this same principle we can almost make an infinite number of applications to our lives especially given the modern tools at our disposal ie technology technology at its core is 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 a tool houses cars refrigerators air conditioning all have their cost they all have maintenance costs required them. Yet, as many of us can attest to, the cost is worth more than the, um, or the cost is worth the abundance that comes through them. There is a cost this morning to sit in this air-conditioned room, but I think we would all agree that the abundance of cool air is worth the cost. Is it worth it to not have a house, to not have a roof over your head, in order to not deal with the maintenance of a house? I don't think so. I consider the abundance of living under a roof worth the cost of maintaining the house, but we can certainly go on to, we can go on to different things. Uh, my wife and I have been looking at some trips recently to the other side of the globe, and one thing we had to take into account uh, is jet lag. Sure, um, enough jet lag can have consequences on our minds, on our bodies, Uh, But being able to travel to the other side of the globe within 24 hours instead of six months is probably worth it. Cars have have brought a similar cost and abundance to us. By them, we can turn a trip to Virginia Beach into a day trip. We can be there and back within the span of a couple of hours, but even though cars have made things more accessible, they've also spaced us out so that we no longer live in tight-knit communities where we could just walk to each other's homes. So there's a cost as well as an abundance that comes with it. This is the general principle being conveyed in this proverb. All abundance in life comes with a cost. And we ultimately have to decide if the cost is worth the abundance that we get from it. If we want to eat healthier and decide to make all of our meals from scratch so we know exactly what's going into our food, that comes with a cost. The cost of a messy kitchen. This is why I've seen this verse hanging over kitchen sinks. So you can remind yourself that it's all worth it while you're washing dishes. Uh, in the same way, uh, l- losing weight comes at a cost. If we want to lose weight, ironically, part of the cost of losing weight is declining the abundance of food that is now before us. We can also apply this verse to child rearing in, in multiple ways. In, in one sense, our kids, our kids are like oxen, and our prayer is that one day they will yield an abundance. Of crops, Yes, kids, I called you oxen. <laughs> uh, an abundance of righteousness to our joy and gladness and a blessing to the entire world. As Proverbs 23 says, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad that he, her who bore you rejoice. And even though they are already a blessing of abundance from the Lord, mine and Carrie's present stage of child rearing is a costly one, namely feeding and instructing and clothing and housing three strapping young men with bottomless appetites. Um, So if you come by our house on any given day, you will quickly notice that our manger is very much in use. So uh, I hope you're seeing how the Proverbs, and specifically this proverb works, you can place it almost air, over any area of your life. We can also apply this proverb to our work. Devotion to our jobs and initiative at the workplace certainly tend to yield greater results, right? If you're willing to take the cost of having an ox, then you have a great opportunity to have a greater yield. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine says something similar. <clears throat> Do you see a skillful man... Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Well, how do you become skillful at work? You have to feed that skill with time, with attention, with devotion. So developing skills is like feeding an ox. It comes at a cost when starting a business. We call that cost an investment. Entrepreneurs put forth money and time and energy with the hope of having an abundant crop to come. We can even apply this proverb to how we view church. It is human nature to want the church to be a constant sanctuary, a place of peace, a place of tranquility, a place of beauty. We want the services to be... Smooth and perfect. We only want to sing the songs that we like. We only want to hear from our favorite pastor. We want the building to be spotless and comfortable. We want everyone to get along. But that's just not the way it is in a living and active congregation. Nor is it probably what God intends. The only way to have a neat, spick and span, tranquil church is to have an empty one. Uh, Because I'm sure you've noticed people are messy. Um, Church would be so much easier if it weren't for all these people. So, (laughs) there is a cost to a thriving, living church. But maybe the most important area that we can apply this proverb to our lives is in the area of spiritual disciplines. Our growth in the Lord. Our growth in... In godliness particularly when it comes to reading our Bibles and prayer just very simply answer me this do you want to know and love God's Word more well guess what that's going to come with a cost you have to feed that habit you have to make sure that the manger is full You have to make sure that you have time set aside to do so. You gotta make sure you have a Bible available to read because there's no way that you have an abundant love and knowledge of God and his word without giving the cost of your time and consistency to it. The same goes for our prayer lives. No one has a thriving prayer life without giving it time and attention. It comes at a cost. It requires an investment at minimum of our time and consistency. And hopefully we would understand that time and consistency in God's word and prayer would yield an abundant crop in our lives. Scriptures are a cavern of treasure that only reveals greater depths and brighter riches the more deeply they are explored. And eternity... It's too short of a time to mine the scriptures for each gym that they contain. So how much less over our short lifetimes? Even think about this idea of missions and evangelism. We have no right to lament a fruitless evangelism if we are not being intentionally evangelistic. In other words, If we want the fruit of the gospel to be made known to those who do not yet know the gospel, we have to embrace the cost of working towards that end. Are we looking for opportunities to share the gospel? Are we praying for open doors to share the gospel if we indeed want an abundant crop to be harvested? Now, with with all of these areas of life where this principle um, uh, applies, we we have to remember that, uh, once again, proverbs are principles, not promises. So the strength of the ox is not a guarantee that abundant crops will come. It is simply an instrument that will make them more likely. It's like like bumpers on a bowling lane. It doesn't ensure that you're going to bowl a strike every time. But at least it keeps you out of the gutters. Famine, drought, insects, and any number of other factors can decimate a farmer's crops. Even when the oxen was used for the harvest. So the general principle of this proverb doesn't trump the sovereignty and providence of God. Even even our disobedience may factor into the equation. Just like God told his people through Haggai, the prophet, he said, Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. God's temple in Jerusalem was in ruins, and his people could care less about it. They didn't give one whit about it. They were disobeying God. They put in the work, they put in, the work in their fields... However, God was frustrating their yields. He was not blessing them with an abundance of crops because of their preference for personal comfort over the rebuilding of the temple. Their efforts to care for themselves and their families only led to frustration, which is why God tells them here to consider their ways. Even think about Jesus' parable of the seed growing in Mark 4. Everything that we do in life is sowing a seed into the ground, but who is ultimately in charge of the harvest? And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So ultimately, everything and everything that we do, the outcome is dependent upon the Lord. Our very best efforts are entirely in His hands. It doesn't matter what tools, what technology we used. But, But that's the pattern of the Proverbs, and that's the pattern of the Bible as a whole. We strive by faith. We are truly called to give God the very best of ourselves, the very best of our efforts, to use the very best tools for our work. But the harvest is ultimately in the hands of God. The outcome in his, is His alone. And He does not promise an abundance of crops just because we use an ox. But that is the principle on display here. So now that we've seen how this proverb sort of broadly applies to our lives, I want to look at a a few of the implied principles here. Namely, cleanliness and orderliness are not supreme goods. Um, The other day at a a staff lunch, we were talking about some of our TV show, Guilty Pleasures. Um, I I didn't say it then, but thinking about it since, I realized one of my Guilty Pleasure TV shows is hoarders. And I really hope that I am not um, alone here, or else this will be awkward. Um, but there is just something cathartic and satisfying about watching those houses get cleaned out. Watching all of that stuff go into a trash bin kind of gets me excited, <laughs> gives me a little high. Um, I realized I have zero empathy for the owner of of the house. That show is really about me. Um, If I'm feeling inadequate about the state of my own house, I can watch that show and suddenly I feel a thousand times better. Yes, maybe my wife asked me to vacuum, uh, but after watching that show, I can decide, I can probably put it off vacuuming another week or so. And what I've noticed in that show is that invariably, these people didn't start out as, as, as hoarders. They started at the completely other end of the spectrum. They were, they were neat freaks, probably, probably to a fault, a little OCD uh, demanding orderliness in their homes, Orderly, orderliness that almost reached the point of a sterility. And at, at some point, something switched. Now, now, I'm not saying that maybe we should all give in to our inner hoarder. That is not what this proverb is, is saying. This, this proverb is not a plea for you to be a slob, either physical or moral. What this proverb is getting at is the readiness to accept upheaval and a mess to clear up as the cost of growth. We are to foster a farmer's outlook here rather than a curator's outlook. Let me say that again. We're to foster a farmer's outlook rather than a curator's outlook. At the same time, we worship a God of order. Though he could have created all things complete and perfect with the snap of his fingers at the start of creation, and what did he do instead? Genesis 1 tells us he created the earth formless, without form and void. He made the earth purposely incomplete. He then proceeded to form the formless. He then proceeded to fill the void during the six days of creation. He chose to use a process. He's a God of order that uses processes to bring about his order. And the same is true for the new creation. Jesus inaugurates the new creation when he rises from the dead on that day that we celebrate every time we gather together on Sunday. Now, that new creation has not reached the fullness of its order. I'm exhibit A that it hasn't. And yet, he is using broken people like me and like you to bring that new creation into its proper order. So he's building things through process, even processes like us. Even so, order is not the ultimate good, and that's what this proverb shows. A clean manger is certainly more orderly than a manger that is being used to feed an ox. However, the clear implication of the proverb is that an abundance of crops is more valuable than a dirty manger. And a clean manger is a foolish excuse for not owning an ox. Let me say that again. A clean manger is clearly of less value than an abundance of crops. And only a fool would choose otherwise. Now, who in here would be those fools? We display the implied folly of this proverb whenever we value things like the tidiness of our homes over showing hospitality to others. We display the folly of this proverb when we value the strictness of our schedule over opportunities to show compassion. And we see this all over the world. and We see this all over our TVs today. Orderliness being wielded against things like marriage and children. Now please hear me. There are a multitude of reasons why people don't get married. And there's many reasons by which, through the providences of God, not every married couple will have children. So I'm not speaking to those circumstances. However we live... In a secular world with a growing population of people who are choosing to forego or avoid both of those things because of how messy they are. Married couples choosing not to have children because of how their lives will be disrupted. Yes, let me spoil it for you. Kids will disrupt your life. (laughs) Couples who live together Choose not to get married today because of all the divorces that they've seen. With many young singles forsaking relationships all together. And, and we wonder why porn use is as prevalent as it is. It's, it's easy. It doesn't require the work and mess of a relationship with another human. It's easier to have a digital harem. Than to have a relationship that actually requires work. It's easier to be roommates than to commit to marriage. It's easier to have a home without children than have these little people running around and making a mess of things. All of that is easier and it's more orderly because when you avoid the ox, the manger stays clean. But the overwhelming abundance of the modern world has led a large percentage of our global population. To choose clean mangers over the continued abundance that comes through those things. And unfortunately, future generations will probably reap what we have sown. If they already aren't. But our God has not called us to embrace what is easy and what is comfortable. Those are not values for the Christian life. Ease and comfortability and convenience are not values in the Bible they are not virtues in fact the scripture calls us to the exact opposite of those things regardless of where we are in life if we're single if we're married Christ calls us to follow after him while taking up our own crosses that's not a recipe for your best life now Christ calls us to follow him down a road that is narrow and difficult. And yes, it leads to the door of life. But Jesus specifically says, few will find it. In Matthew 7, 13, we read this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few the call to follow Christ as, as Bonhoeffer once famously says is a call to come and die now those who embrace that cost will find abundance they will find life all those who lose their lives for Christ's sake will paradoxically save their lives. Those who are last for Christ's sake will become first. Those who are humbled for his sake will be exalted. The life that Jesus calls us to live is as messy as a used manger. But it leads to a life of abundance. A life of abundant crops. I, I told you we were going to do things a little bit backwards this morning. Our whole exploration of this proverb is worthless unless by it we come to Christ. We can certainly apply the principles to our lives and we can all be better humans uh, for it. But if we don't come to Jesus through it, then it's all pointless. It has no eternal value whatsoever. John 5 says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. So how then does Proverbs fourteen four turn us to Jesus? We are told in the New Testament that Jesus is the wisdom of God. Jesus is the embodiment of God's wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Just as Jesus is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 says, and the exact imprint of his nature, as Hebrews 1.3 says, Jesus is the wisdom of God made manifest. He is the wisdom of God taken flesh and walking around as a person dwelling among us. And by that very dwelling among us, Jesus begins to embody this weird proverb for us. Because you see, speaking of himself as the good shepherd, Jesus gave us the explicit reason for his coming to earth, for his leaving his heavenly throne and being born in the likeness of men. Jesus says in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is why Jesus came to earth. That they, his people, his sheep, those he's laid his life down for might have life and have it what? Abundantly. Jesus came into this world to give the greatest crop of all to his people. An abundance of life. Life in a world where death now reigns because of sin. And he came to give it to us in abundance for eternity and yet the harvest of this life would come at a great cost to him it would come through the mess of physically being born into this world now I don't know when the last time you witnessed childbirth was but it's still messy magical yes messy no doubt The fact that Jesus' first crib was a manger, an animal's feeding trough, ought to jolt us out of sterilizing that holy night where Christ came to earth. Simply because that's, that's what we like to do. We live in a sterilized culture that wants to make everything orderly and clean, but that's not how Jesus came into the world. And his birth was not the only messy part of Jesus' life. It was only the beginning of his humiliation that led all the way to his crucifixion, which was the greatest cost paid by the Son of God. It was through the cross that Jesus was despised and rejected by the very people that he came to to save. And it was upon the cross that he became accursed By the Father for the only moment in all of his eternal being. For our sake. Hebrews 12.2 says this. Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame. Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame and the scorn of the cross. All for the joy that was set before him. Or. We can put it in the language of our proverb today. He embraced the messy manger and the bloody cross for the abundant crop that would come through his divine yet human strength. So, going back to John 10, Jesus wasn't speaking metaphorically when he said, in the very next verse, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this is precisely what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life in order that we may have life and have it in abundance. And here's the wonderfully good news about that today. That's a promise. That's not a principle. So let me begin to end here. To embrace Christ means that we too will have to embrace messy mangers. Suffering, affliction, scorn, persecution will come to those who follow Christ. But but, but even more fundamentally, to follow Christ is to imitate him. Which means counting others as more significant than yourselves. Which means dying to our selfish desires. Dying to our selfish ambitions. And pouring ourselves out for the sake of others. Even if others reject it. Just like the most fundamental display of Jesus' love was the cross. Which was rejected by those that he was dying for. And so if your ultimate goal in life is to keep your mangers clean I I don't know if this Jesus thing is for you The path away from Christ is broad and easy If you don't want to be disturbed that's the road to go down The only problem is that's the road to destruction It's the road to eternal destruction. The path that Christ calls us to is hard. It's narrow. But at the end, that door leads to life, and as Christ said, life abundantly. And maybe you don't know this Jesus this morning, and you're sitting there thinking that this Jesus thing sounds pretty um, exclusive. you're right it is but the call to follow him goes out to every single one of us today the call to respond to Jesus in repentance and faith is inclusive what does that first sentence say enter by the narrow gate Jesus that call goes out to every single one of us today Jesus is that narrow gate. And so, again, today, we come to this table over here. And we can remember that it was ultimately set before us by our Good Shepherd. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you will be invited here shortly to come taste and to see his goodness in this bread, to taste and see his goodness in this cup as you remember his body, body, broken body and his shed blood to atone for the abundance of your sins. And if you don't know this Jesus, this time is also for you. But not to come remember, but to simply respond to the call to worship Jesus right there in that pew by crying out to him in prayer, by admitting to him that you are more sinful, that you're more messier than you have ever dared confess. But through Jesus, you're more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. The narrow gate of Jesus today offers you complete forgiveness and abundant life with him forever. And the cool thing is, we get to do all of this together this morning in an act of fellowship not only with god but with one another remembering our call to follow after christ both individually and jointly as a body of believers in richmond virginia in 2023 remembering our call to embrace the messy mangers of life for the everlasting joy of Christ that is set before us. So may we be a people that choose the narrow, messy path, that choose the road to crucifixion just as Jesus did for us, because afterward comes the crown. Look for better things in this life than clean mangers and clean homes. Embrace the dirt of the ox. Look forward to that day at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we will dine on the abundance from that harvest with all thanksgiving. Let me pray for us. Father, we do indeed give thanks to you that that Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. That he has laid down his life for us, his sheep, and that he has done so that we may have life and have it abundantly. And so, Father, today give us the grace of Christ poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit to embrace the same path that Christ walked, to embrace the cross so that one day we may gain the crown, to embrace the thorns, of this life so that one day we'll stand before your throne. Father, may we give ourselves to having messy mangers so that by the strength of the ox we may have abundant crops by your hand of grace upon us. And may it be today, Lord. We ask this in your great son's name. Amen. You've been listening to a message by Shelby Murphy given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.org.